Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. Happy to be back after a great vacation last week with my family and delighted to host my first edition of Talking Animals since we moved into the 11 a.m. time slot. Further delighted that my guest today is Glenn Zipper, executive producer of the Netflix series Dogs, which begins airing its second season on July 7th. And in the apparent interest of equal time, Zipper also oversees a new feline-focused series, Cat People, also available on Netflix as of July 7th. The second series of Dogs features four episodes, including a poignant one profiling the butler, university bulldog mascot, and the humans who care for the dog, and a Brazilian priest's singular devotion to unwanted strays in his city, and the network that develops to provide the dog's veterinary care, and find them homes. Cat People spotlights an array of intriguing felines and humans, including some that have been guests on Talking Animals, such as the cat rapper Mo Show and the prolific feral cat rescuer Sterling, so known as the Trap King. We'll discuss both series, the new seasons of Dogs and Cat People, and I imagine other topics when I speak with Glenn Zipper in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Meanwhile, later in today's program, I'll speak briefly with Logan Vendette, Executive Director of Kindred Spirit Sanctuary, a facility in Citra, Florida that provides safe refuge to disabled, abused, abandoned, and neglected farm animals. She was a past guest on Talking Animals discussing various facets of Kindred Spirits. Today, though, she's addressing an emergency situation in which Kindred Spirits has taken in 33 pigs from a so-called sanctuary that turned out to be anything but. We'll hear briefly about that situation and how we can all help later in today's show. Right now, though, let's discuss dogs, cats, and Netflix documentaries on both with Glenn Zipper. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Glenn Zipper on Talking Animals on WMF. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals again. My pleasure. So when we spoke last time, the first season of Dogs had been released maybe 10 days or so earlier, and Netflix viewers had already gone bonkers, right? There was much swooning and love letters to the series and or specific dogs that were featured and so on. What happened after that? I mean, what was kind of the longer-term reaction after we spoke uh, early on? It really built, um, and uh, people were clamoring for a second season. thing is, it takes a really long time to get these seasons together. First, we have to span the world to find the stories, and then we have to go into production, edit it, and so on. And then, of course, this time we had to deal with the pandemic, which slowed things down even further. But three years later, we're finally back. Yeah, well, in a 30-second response, you covered a, a few different questions that I certainly had, because it is really interesting, and I, uh, maybe we'll jump to that now. I was going to get into that a bit later, but since you kind of touched on it, this is as good a time as any. How exactly does that work? Like, how wide a net do you guys cast looking for, like, okay, well, this would be a great story for the dog series the next season. What are the mechanics of doing that, and how extensive is the search? It's worldwide, and we really do look in every nook and cranny. You know, obviously, we search the internet, we search social media, but we also search local newspapers, local media. Uh, and in season two, we did something different where we also invited people to submit their stories, which in retrospect was a, a bit of a, a miscalculation and also kind of funny in retrospect. But the obvious never hit us, which is everyone thinks their dog is a movie star, right? <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> I just happen to have a story for you. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But the issue was a lot of them weren't stories, but they were more dogs that did cute things. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, that stuff's great. And we enjoyed taking a look at it, but they were more TikTok videos and not episodes of dogs. 
Right. So how many, notwithstanding the people who said, well, here, I have a dog right here in the living room that could be a a Netflix uh, doc. How many did you end up once you had scoured the country and come up, you know, whatever ones were submitted by the people themselves that did seem to qualify? What kind of numbers are we talking about here? Well, there are four episodes in season two, and I would say that for every episode, we probably looked at 20 that we gave serious consideration. So you do that math. I was never very good at math. That's why I'm a documentary producer, not a doctor, but I think that's about 80 stories that yeah. we close look at um, before we whittle it down to the four. So I guess the, the key question there then is how, from that 80, if they if they made the list initially, how do you winnow down from that 80 to the four? What's the key criteria for doing that winnowing? Right. What's well, really about finding stories that have a journey to them. A lot of the stories we see um, on uh, television and film as they relate to dogs in documentaries, they're sort of pedantic. They're people sitting in chairs, uh, giving us expertise, uh, telling us they think we need to know uh, to be better dog owners or just uh, you know, some things are more like National Geographic uh, um, films or TV shows where they're telling us where dogs evolve from or why they wag their tails or why they sniff this or that. Dogs, if you haven't seen it, every episode plays like a movie with a beginning, middle, and an end. We are following characters in real time going on a journey that in some way has stakes that are paid off by the end of the episode. And when you look at those factors, or if you are looking for those factors or criteria in order to be selected, very few of the 80 actually had those stories with a journey and with a beginning, middle, and an end that we could follow in real time. And also, it would seem that besides that journey and that kind of narrative uh, arc that goes with that that you've described, they also seem to have a real poignance, like... There's some element or another of that story or of that journey that can kind of really get to you emotionally. I, I got to believe yeah, we, that's a, a key factor, too. Absolutely. We look for that. And it's a fine line because we certainly don't want it to be a sad show. Yeah. You know, people, we all work hard all day long and we come home, we pick up our shoes, want to escape, we want to feel good. We don't want to be depressed. Yeah. Um, and we want to have that same feeling that we have when we walk through the door and our dog is waiting for us and wagging their tail. And we have that endorphin release. We want the show to have that same effect on people le- legitimately. Yeah. And so we look for stories that offer that kind of thing. For sure. So let's talk. Uh, I mean, I, I want to be super careful about spoilers just because, again, we're still a week away. It's literally a week from today, the 7th, where the new uh, season of, of Dogs is available on Netflix. But maybe you could just talk about to whatever extent you think doesn't cross over into spoiler territory, either one or more docs or one or more dogs or both where those uh, intersect, perhaps, of the new season. Um, well, well, talking about um, season two, I think we have a really interesting range of stories. You alluded to uh, the Butler University mascot. You know, someone might say, "Well, what? How? How interesting can a story about a mascot be?" But it really is. It's one of our favorite uh, stories of the of the season uh, because it's not just about um, a mascot and running up and down a basketball court. It's about the people who have integrated the dog into their lives and made the dog their family. And there's also a transition going on because the dog is going to be retired. And retired isn't a euphemism. It's just 
just not going to be the mascot anymore, and he's going to have the normal life at home. Um, but that transition and the way that it affects the people around the dog is just really, really emotional, and, and uh, it turned out to be a great episode. Another episode that we're so excited about is an episode about Leland Melvin, and that name might not ring a bell at first, but if you saw the famous picture of Leland Melvin, you would immediately know who I was talking about. He's the NASA astronaut who brought both of his Rhodesian Ridgebacks into his NASA portrait, and that photo went viral. And when we saw that photo, we, we knew we had to take a closer look and find out what that guy was all about. And it turned out that he was even more remarkable than we ever could have dreamed. And he's a guy that's faced a lot of uh, adversity and tragedy in his life, and dogs have helped him through that. So that's a really special episode as well. Yeah. Another episode where uh, a dog is being rescued from Iraq and brought back to the States. And I'm sure your listeners can only imagine what's involved in that and take a really close look at that. And that has a very surprising twist in it that we didn't expect, but it turned out to be a great story. And then you alluded to the priest down in Brazil who honestly should be sainted. It's a guy who has devoted his life, in addition to serving his congregation, to helping the animals of his community. And it's just a beautiful episode. Yeah, it really is. I mean, just to back up to the first of those four, just because I know there's a lot of people, especially animal types, who find sometimes the topic of animal mascots to be tricky or polarizing. So, yeah, we should really emphasize that however you generally feel about animals and uh, being used as mascots, uh, what's part of this story very much is this the bulldog who we meet at the beginning of the story and is about to sort of hand the uh, the bone off I guess to the next bulldog but is treated so beautifully and has this incredible connection with his human that uh, that he lives with and uh, takes him around to the various appearances that are on the schedule and there's all kinds of other elements of the story which again we won't uh, spoil but it's, it's super poignant and um, you know it's not like oh my god, not another uh, animal mascot thing. Where it's rough territory. It's it's it couldn't be further from that. So exactly, and you know we internally we rate these episodes not one to five stars. We rate them one to five tissue boxes for how how much you're going to cry. And that was definitely a five tissue box episode. Yeah, um, and they're happy. They're happy tears. So don't worry. Right. Uh, well but for sure, five tissue boxes. Yeah, well, that's the thing, and, and a number of them have uh, various uh, number of tissue boxes, but again, we should underscore that that only in kind of the most poignant, positive sense, there's no horrible fate that uh, that befalls any of these dogs uh, that you sort of meet and, and, again, follow the journey that you described. Yeah, that's a, that's a spoiler that we gave for season one, and we'll give it again for season two. No dogs die on dogs. No right. dogs are harmed on dogs. So you can, when you turn on an episode of dogs, you do not have to worry about that. Yeah, so that's the thing. So the tissue boxes are for other reasons and sometimes just because the dogs and their stories are so amazing and or the humans and their stories are so amazing. And certainly the Brazilian priest, you know, I don't know how many tissue boxes that rates, but it's got to be up there. But, uh, but yeah, this guy, I mean, just boundless compassion. And there's kind of a pretty huge uh, stray issue in the city that he lives and where his uh, church, his parish is. And, uh, and he just decides to uh, take it on as much as he can one by one and, and then enlist all kinds of help so that these dogs get veterinary care that they're not going to otherwise get living on the streets and then typically finds homes. So we won't say too much more, but I mean, it's just like you just feel like this guy, as you said, I mean, if, the, if there's sainthood awaiting this guy, it wouldn't be surprising. 100% agree with you. Sort of Latter Day St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah. So, what were the? You know, obviously you talked about the pandemic, and uh, you know, that, I guess I don't know how long that put things on hold. 
But um, were there other particular challenges? I mean, again, I, I still can't quite imagine going from 80 stories to four. And was there ever discussion of having more than four? Or was it always like, hey, the second season's going to have four, the first season had six, we just have to somehow make our tough choices and get to four? Yeah, it was always four. Um, you know, that was the mandate from Netflix. I think that part of the reasoning was we wanted to get this out as soon as possible. And first season took a long time to get those six done. We never imagined that we were going to have a global pandemic to deal with, so it's yeah. taking a long time anyway. But people were so clamoring for more episodes, we just wanted to get on with it. And four was the best way to get them get them to audiences as quickly as possible. Sure. And I'm curious, too, now that it's clearly a series and an ongoing one, even more so now as of, as of next Wednesday, at least officially. So I'm wondering if there might be any follow-up episodes between... Now, the, the 10 total that we will have seen as of next Wednesday, where anybody would go back and say, hey, what's happening with this, this dog or this family or these humans or this organization that were profiled in, in one or more of these pieces? Is there any kind of possibility of that at some point? Sure. There's, we've talked about that. I campaigned for a minute to do um, a sequel to uh, uh, Ice on Water, which is the, the episode in season one about Ice, the dog that lives in Lake Como, Italy. Yeah. Um, because people had fallen so in love with that dog and literally have traveled from all over the world to go visit that dog. Uh, we've been sent pictures of tourists from every corner of the globe who have descended upon Lake Como to spend <laughs> I'm sure. I'd like um, to get over there myself to see Ice, yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm going to use it as an excuse to go myself because even if I didn't live there, Lake Como is a beautiful place. Sure. Um, but, you know, a lot of times the, the journey that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. for the most part, concluded. So, yeah. But we'd like to spend time with those animals again. There wouldn't be the journey to sustain the entire episode. I have to be careful about what spoilers I, I give you, but I'll just say we're planning on giving you a little taste of how Ice and Zeus uh, are doing from season one uh, in the not-too-distant future. Okay. Well, that's enticing for sure. That's great. Yeah, cool. And they're doing well. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, because some of these episodes just feel so intimate or project such intimacy that really after watching you, you, you do feel really connected. I mean, Ice is a you know probably quintessential example, but others too, where you just feel like you've made an important new friend or you just feel like, hey, I have a real stake in how this dog's doing and how it's the family's doing or you know whatever the particulars of the story might be be. You really do find yourself thinking about them and, and later thinking about them more and wondering about how is Ice doing or how is so-and-so doing or how, how is the family doing. So I'm glad to hear there's at least a little little uh, miniature update on, on a couple of them. Yeah, on the way. Yeah. So before we start moving into any kind of cat territory, one thing I, I wanted to do, speaking of dogs, was offer my belated condolences on the passing of your beloved dog, Anthony, because I know we talked before when we spoke a few years ago that uh, you guys were a real powerful, long-time team, so I realize that sense of loss is profound and probably still is. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I'm glad I'm on Talking Animals because your um, your listeners are uniquely qualified to understand this, and some people don't. It's like losing a child. I know that's a um, you know hard thing to say. You know, I don't have kids, and I'm sure if I, if I you know, losing a human child is a whole other ball of wax, yeah. more devastating. But, you know, it, they're perfect creatures, and you just is part of you that thinks they just deserve to live forever. And it's just this feeling. It's like an impossible feeling when they leave you. It just, it's just like, it can't be that they're not here anymore. And when you've spent 17 years together, that feeling is only compounded to be even more painful than it otherwise would be. And, it, you know, it, for the last you know, year and, and a half, 
since he passed, sort of felt like I've been going through life with three wheels instead of four. You know, it does get better over time. Yeah. You have to heal. You have to, I don't know if moves on the right word because you never, you want to maintain that connection and sure. those memories even after they're gone, but you need to still put one, one foot in front of the other and open your heart to another dog or animal that needs a home. And I'm going to try and do that in the relatively near future. Okay. I was going to ask if you felt like you were nearing that point where you might feel uh, ready. But it sounds like you're... I'm waiting for a sign. Okay. For the, like the moment where like, you know, if it, look, if a dog, if I was sitting on the curb in front of my house, uh, it would be my dog. <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. I'm waiting for that moment. If that moment doesn't come in, in the near future, I'll probably seek it out. Yeah. And one of the things we discussed last time that I think we should revisit, partly as a tribute to, to Sweet Anthony, but partly as a context for the Netflix series that we've already discussed and the other one that we'll discuss in a moment, was the role that Anthony played in helping shape your professional path. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about, just remind those who maybe don't remember the conversation we did have, yeah. how he entered your life and how he influenced your career direction and choices, etc. Yeah, talk about a sign or universal intervention. I was not always a documentary producer. I was a, a criminal prosecutor. Um, and I was working at the Hudson County Prosecutor's Office in Jersey City, New Jersey. Came home from work one day and crossed paths with uh, some kids on the street who had a stray pit bull puppy. Uh, and I, they didn't know what to do with the dog. And eventually our journey took us to the animal shelter. And I said, okay, this puppy going to be all right. And they said, we'll give it its three days. What is that? Three days? What does that mean? And they said, well, you know, after three days, we'll put him down. I said, why would you do that? It's just a puppy. And then they thoughtfully explained to me the arithmetic that they had to deal with. They showed me the floor to ceiling cages filled with animals in the back. And they said, we don't want to put any of them down, sir. But one comes in, one's got to go. And I, you know, it was a Friday, and by Monday, I had given my notice and turned in my badge at the prosecutor's office and went to volunteer at the animal shelter to help them find homes for dogs. Um, and after doing that for a while, uh, for the first time in my adult life, I was actually happy. And I said, well, I want to remain happy for the rest of my life, so I am going to actually do what I always wanted to do, which was tell stories. So I adopted that little pit bull puppy because nobody else wanted him. He was a bit of a rambunctious scoundrel, hmm. um, and that became Anthony. And Anthony and I came out to Hollywood and through a lot of hard work and probably even more luck, we found success uh, making documentaries. We won an Oscar. We won Grammy, Emmy, and then eventually had enough clout to make dogs. And here we are today. Yeah. No, it's so great. Just the shift from criminal prosecutor to helping people adopt dogs once you kind of understood how it worked and what the, what the math did, you know, what the calculations were there and then jumped into it yourself. And then, yeah, it was a long, successful ride. And, uh, and Anthony certainly seemed to pull you right into some of the, uh, the filmmaking and stuff that you've since done. Would not be here without him. Yeah. So, um, so let's spend a moment or two discussing cat people. First, was the documentary series focusing on cats sort of a bid for uh, like an equal time counterpart to dogs? Was there were there demands from cat people everywhere? How did that come together? Yeah. You know, one dog uh, premiered season one premiered a few years ago and became a, a big success. Uh, the cat lovers of the world were none too pleased with me. I said, you, why would you spend all this time making a dog show but not make a cat show? Yeah. They were tweet bombing me, <laughs> like carpet bombing me with tweets, uh, letting me know they, they needed their own show. And so I literally uh, screen grabbed the, all the tweets that were sent to me, and I made it part of my pitch to Netflix. 
And I said, like, we, we kind of have to do this, guys. And uh, you know, Netflix was uh, up for the up for the journey with me, and we embarked upon it. And the, the, the we wanted to not just be a clone of cat of dog. Also, so we made the decision to make it a half hour show, make it a bit lighter, not make it um, too inane or disposable, or you know, we we didn't want it to be like an extended TikTok video of a cat knocking a ball of yarn around or something like that. We wanted to have the same poignancy. Yeah. And the same emotionality uh, as dogs, but we wanted to definitely lean into the eccentricities and the uniqueness of cat people, and uh, we think it turned out wonderfully. Yeah, it does seem to have a, a different tone, and there's at least somewhat lighter stories in and amongst the, the, the mix. And uh, in fact, two people that have been featured in the past uh, were guests on, uh, on Talking Animals Mo Show and, and, and Sterling the Trap King. Again, then you've got you know Samantha and the amazing Acro Cats, and I'm sure uh, people listen. I've probably seen at one place or another. So it does seem like, yeah, there, there's uh, uh, a, a lighter tone, but there's still some real poignance to, to a lot of these, and there's still kind of a, a global reach as there were as there has been with dogs, including uh, Japan and uh, Greece, amongst other places. So anything you want to, again, still super careful about how much we're, we're saying before people had a chance to look at this next Wednesday, but uh, anything you want to say about any of the cats and or people profiled in cat people? Sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, you touched on a number of the characters that we feature already. In addition to those, we do have uh, a subject in Japan who makes this incredible, unique art form that I and most people in the world have never seen before, where essentially she creates 3D images of people's cats that look literally like they're real and she puts them in a frame there's a shot of it in the cat people trailer which you can find on youtube just google netflix uh, cat people and, and the reactions to the trailer online people are concerned that it's actually cat taxidermy because it looks so yeah beautiful. <laughs> yeah had to assure people don't worry no cats were harmed in the making of this art but um it's not just that her art is remarkable she is a, a, a remarkable human being and um the story of what inspires her is really really special and then we have another episode that takes place on the island of syros in greece at a, kanks, a cat sanctuary and it's really like a cat sanctuary in paradise that's where want to hang it up retire and go volunteer there um because it's such a beautiful place but also meeting the the couple that have dedicated their life to um, not only rescuing these cats but essentially changing the point of view of the citizens of Syros, who at one time saw cats as a pest on the island, or cats as pests on the island, and now see them uh, as essentially um, one of the, the island's most unique and beloved assets. So I think um, people are really going to fall in love with that episode as well. And I think, you know, from 30,000 feet, um, one of the interesting things about cat people is we really did want to unpack the cat person stereotype, which too often is associated with being weird or, or crazy or having a screw loose or something. <laughs> yeah, silly. eccentric. Um, you yeah. Know, cat people are usually just the same as dog people, just as passionate, and that's all it's really about. They do lean a little bit more towards being eccentric than dog people. That's fine, but it's not that they're weird. They're just cool. They're, they're people that you actually would want to hang out with, and I think when you're meeting characters like Mosho, the cat rapper, and Sterling, uh, the, the trap king, you're like, oh, 
well, actually, these are people that I would love to have as friends in my life and are people to be admired. For sure. Yeah. And and, uh, and Sterling, I mean, maybe even more so in some ways, just because uh, his passion, and again, these, of course, the through line for all these is they have tremendous passion for cats. And uh, as you noted, they're not like idiosyncratic so much as they just, they love cats and it's expressed in one way or another. But on top of that, you know, Sterling has been super devoted for many, many years to feral cats trapping and that hence the name of the trap king and then getting them neutered uh, vaccinated etc and then bring them back to the colony and we we get to see some of that and he and i talked about a lot of that on, on the show here some some years ago so you really get to recognize that again some of these forms of passion are also doing huge uh, good works uh, humanitarian work wouldn't even be too much of a stretch to say so if, th- if those are kooks those are my kind of kooks yeah exactly if, if those are kooks i want those kooks on my team yeah and most shows Again, I think uh, uh, the cat rapper that we also had on the show. Again, just in terms of advocacy, even if he's not at, the, at a given moment necessarily expressing something in the form of advocacy, it has the same effect just because whatever video he's doing or if he's rapping with one of his cats or you know, bathing with them or whatever, it just helps you think differently about cats and really consider cats in a different light. Again, that's a form of advocacy that's not like the horrible stereotype of a house full of zillions of cats and unkempt and all kinds of weird things that could go with the other kind of cat person. Exactly. So what, you kind of touched on this, but I'm just curious. So how how many did you come up with in this case to end up with the six that we now see or will see next Wednesday on Netflix? I mean, there must have been, I would guess, once you made your case and Netflix said, yeah, all the people you'd heard from and many others probably said, okay, well, here's some stories for you. What kind of numbers were we talking about there that were potential documentary, short documentaries? Very similar. Yeah. Oh, I think we uh, we may have lost Lynn, so let's, let's see if I can get him right back. Talking animals on WNF. Okay, we have Glenn back, right? I am back. I think the dog people found out we were talking about cats and broke through. Okay, and 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 came in and severed the the line or something. Yeah, chewed through the line. Uh, yeah, of course, that makes more sense. So you were talking about the numbers, and I think right when we lost the the call, you were saying it was yeah. similar numbers. So was, was there was there as many as eighty or so serious candidates uh, that for for this series as well? Something like that, which is why I have no social life, no friends, and no family. I'm just spending all my time going. To- these stories and producing these these episodes it really is a lot of work but we have a, we have a great team you know on on cat people we have um sean stewart i'm a producing partner in sandy tan um and uh working with them uh really makes it a lot easier you know we it, it's a, a problem half is a, a or whatever that saying is um a burden shared is a burden half or i'm sure i'm not getting it right but the point is um if i didn't have if I didn't have that help, um, I'd never get through it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to uh, ask you a, a more specific question in a sec, but I think we might have a caller that wants to get in. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Glenn Zipper. Hi. Hi, go ahead, please. Gee, what happened to Rob Lori? Uh He's gone. Do you have a question or a comment for Glenn about uh, cats, people, or dogs? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Okay, thank you. We're sort of right in the middle of a conversation with Glenn. I understand, though. Thank you, though. So uh, I had a little. Per- good. 
Have well, a great day. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, that, that this is an ongoing personnel thing, which uh, shouldn't really go on the air in the middle of a t- discussion of cats and dogs. So what I was going to ask is that, so when you say you don't have any kind of life, you have all these people that are on your team. But let's say you, know, you somewhere along the line you heard about Mo Show, uh, just to pick one. Um, what actually happens to explore, I mean, you maybe saw something online or somebody showed you a video or sent you a video or called your attention to this or that. But how, how does it actually proceed all the way to, in his case, uh, he was selected to, to be part of the series? What, what, how many steps are there and what, what, what does that look like? A few. Well, we have casting professionals who um, really do dig in with each submission that we're taking seriously. They interview the subject. Then they deliver to us a write-up giving us all the elements that they think will make for a great episode. If that resonates with us, then we'll do our, um, our own conversations with the subject. We'll get them on video so we can see how they read on video, and then we'll pair them with the director. The director will also ask some questions so the director can determine for herself or himself if uh, they think that they have enough there to tell a compelling story. And once all of those boxes are ticked, then we make the call as to whether we're going to proceed with the episode or not. And so even as that's winnowed down, uh, at least when it, with you talked about the dogs thing, and then I assume it's similar with the cats, I mean, to, to get it down even to six in this case as opposed to four, I imagine there's got to be amongst your team some some friendly fisticuffs about, well, no, how could you say that? This is the one we should have for that last slot. I mean, how does that kind of tussling get resolved? It's not always friendly. Okay. <laughs> so it's actual fisticuffs. Yeah. 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 We don't ever come to blows, but sometimes it gets, you know, a bit heated. You know, and that's good because it means that everyone's passionate about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. Um, and so I have to make the call. And if, um, you know, if I would say if people don't like the show, I'm the one who's going to get blamed, not you. So, uh, I'm going to, if there's a tie, I'm going to be the tiebreaker. I see. So you've, you're the big bad guy or the big good guy, depending on how the tie goes. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's try it for another call. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Glenn Zipper. Hey, this is Mike. Yeah. Hi, Mike. Uh, so I had a question about cats. I know you're not a scientist and all that, but I was wondering if maybe the documentary touched on this at all. This is something I always heard about, something that always bothered me and kind of concerned me about cats. Is it true that, like, there's something, there's some, like, brain disease or something where if you, if you're, like, if you have a litter box that isn't properly ventilated, it can cause, like, your brain not to work as well or something? Again, I'm, I'm not too great at science. I work with my hands, but... That was something I always mm-hmm. heard about. I want to say toxoplasmosis or something, toxo-something. Yeah, that's good. It is toxo- toxoplasmosis. We don't have anything on the show that covers toxoplasmosis. But, yes, I mean, there, it is a rare, I, again, I qualify this by saying, and you're right, I'm not a scientist, but in my anecdotal uh, knowledge, I know that toxoplasmosis is a, a disease that uh, is very rare for humans to catch. And it, it could, it can be transmitted from a cat's litter box. But they usually just advise pregnant women to avoid litter boxes because they're most at risk. But again, if you Google toxoplasmosis in cats, you'll probably get a lot of uh, good information, better information than I'm providing with you. Um, uh, but I would, again, venture to say it's a very rare thing. But if you just do a little bit of Googling, you can figure out how to stay safe. Awesome. And great job on the show, guys. I'm really enjoying it. Learning a lot. Oh, thanks. Thanks for call. Thanks for your call. And thanks for a good question. That's great. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. You too. All right, Glenn. So um, 
All right, so it sounds like we've got six this round. Now, will there be, I know I know we haven't even put these up on Netflix yet, and the guy's already talking ahead, but uh, just based on the pattern with dogs, started with six, and, and then there was a follow-up four. Will that pattern hold true, do you think, with cats, or are we, uh, is that getting too far ahead of ourselves at the moment? Well, I mean, I, I would love to continue telling these stories. Ultimately, we have to have Netflix's cooperation. If they want to do it, we'll do it. I, and I think that she, they're mostly practical. They'll respond to their audience. If people love cat people, there'll be subsequent seasons. If people watch it and are more like, eh, take it or leave it, and there probably won't be. But I, we're, we're really excited about how the show came out. We think people are going to respond to it in a very similar way that they responded to dogs. So odds are... We'll continue telling cat people stories as well. And wouldn't I would guess at least that let's say that Netflix says, yeah, let's let's have another round of four, and while they're at it, maybe let's do another round of four dog stories. Would those go back to? Would you guys go back as filmmakers to the eighty contenders, or would you cast another what you know wide net and sort of start over? And say, well, maybe there's other people out there, other animals out there that we didn't we didn't even know about the first time or didn't didn't see the first time. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, it's it's certainly possible. The thing is, again, we want to follow journeys in real time. Mm-hmm. So people are submitting to us stories about some sort of journey that's happening at that moment. A year later or two years later, that journey may have concluded. So those stories may have self-disqualified themselves. But I see, yeah. To the extent that there are some that are evergreen, we'll certainly take another look. You know, just to, to give you um, a little bit of inside baseball information about dogs. Sure. There's a story about um, dogs in Chernobyl. You know, that there's, a, there's essentially packs of now semi-feral dogs because of all the dogs that were left behind in Chernobyl. Um, and there are multiple rescue organizations and rescuers who go into Chernobyl, rescue these dogs, and rehome them all over the world, and really took a close look at that and came very close to doing a story about that. The issue was we were concerned it might have been too sad, um, but the more that we've tracked the story, even after we passed on it, we've seen that many of those stories have very, very happy and uplifting resolutions. So that's one that we could potentially circle back and take another look at in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I would see how the, the journeys and some of the stories uh, kind of evergreen, as you say, and then some do kind of maybe reach for one reason or another kind of their endpoints so they wouldn't be candidates if there's yet another round of this. But um, But it would seem like just generally there's no shortage of good dog stories and good cat stories out there. Is there... Uh, of either of the new series, is there a, a story or an animal that that you find yourself thinking about, even though you, you were buried in selecting and, and making decisions that when it was down to the final count, et cetera, and just everything that goes with producing a series like this? So, you know, you're probably tapped out in some way, but still are there times where you find yourself thinking about a certain dog or a certain human that goes with one of those dogs or, or one of the cats, for that matter? Of course, yeah. I mean, there's... We talked about ice already, but that dog is just magical. And um, I recently zoomed with um, his family, and ice showed up in the zoom, <laughs> said hello to me. Of course, and uh, that made my that made my month. Um, and uh, I really do. Uh, the uh, ice's family invited me to come out to Lake Como, and I really do intend to take them up on that if I can find the, the time and the means. Uh, in season two, 
all of those dogs down in Brazil that uh, the Padre was working with yeah. captured my heart, and I find myself thinking about them often. You know, and then as it relates to cats, particularly some of the cats that um, are in the Greek sanctuary episode called God's Little People, you see the journey that these cats went on to find new homes uh, outside of Greece, and you just hope for the best for them. And as if you've seen the episode already, you know that they, they do have happy endings, and you just you just revel in those happy endings. You know, you're having a bad day, and you, the thoughts of those happy endings for those cats come to mind, and it just brings a bit of a smile to your face. For sure. And one of the things that reminds me about the, just, just talking about the, the, the sanctuary, the Greek sanctuary, but it's also kind of sort of a through line across episodes of, of, of the new season of Dogs and, and really camp people, I mean, to varying extents, of course, but there's a sense of purpose. And I think at least along the way, at least one or more humans kind of even articulates that, that like the Greek sanctuary people, they have all kinds of backstories that led them to where they are. But, I mean, there's clearly a sense of purpose to, to what they do and making, like, as you say, those, those cats have happy uh, outcomes and happy stories and, and find happy homes after. But, but was that also kind of, uh, to varying degrees, uh, like a quality they're looking for when you're making your final winnowing from 80 or 70, 80 down to four or six, as the case may be? For sure. You know, as you talked about earlier, you know, dogs did that for me. You know, I was the prosecutor and I was not happy um, and I didn't really know why uh, and then I went to volunteer at the animal shelter and suddenly I was happy and then by the process of deduction it occurred to me it's because doing one thing I had no purpose I mean we won't bore your listeners talking about the criminal justice system but it is really a revolving door you're not doing anything as a prosecutor to make the world a better place mm-hmm. when I'm volunteering at an animal shelter and you're literally saving dogs lives you do have a purpose, and that perfect purpose then gives you a sense of happiness and a, and a reason for being, and that drives you forward. And to the extent that these shows are in any way a reflection of me, um, you see that in the thematic of purpose that keeps reappearing across, across both series. Yeah. Well, that might be the perfect place at... Uh which to leave this conversation. So we've been speaking with Glenn Zipper again, executive producer of Dogs Season 2 and the new series uh, also on Netflix, Cat People. They both are available starting next Wednesday, July 7th. And uh, I was fortunate enough in preparation for this interview to, to see them all, and they're just terrific because I think hopefully we've touched on without giving away too much in, in any one case. So, Glenn, thank you so much for making the time to join us again on Talking Animals, and uh, let's uh, hope there's... Big boffo uh, response, whatever that translates to in the mystical ways that Netflix works and uh, more of these coming down the pike. Thank you. Always a pleasure talking with you. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. In a moment, we'll hear from Logan Vendette of Kindred Spirit Sanctuary, which just took in 33 pigs that had been living in a sanctuary of sorts, where the pig population was allowed to exceed 400, and then the owner apparently ran out of money to feed and care for the animals and lost the property itself. So it's a rough story, though these 33 pigs are in good hands now, but that's taking on a lot in addition to the resident animals Kindred Spirit already cares for and feeds, so hear about that in just a moment. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner with a nod to the Netflix series Cat People by way of a vintage piece from Steve Martin. This is Cat Handcuffs in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. How many people have cats? Okay, one, two, three, four. Okay, Tim. Now, let me ask you this. 
Do you trust him? Because I've got to get a pair of cat handcuffs and I've got to get them right away. Just the little ones that go around the little front paws. Or maybe the manacles of four that get all four paws. But what a drag. I found out my cat was embezzling from me. You think you know a cat for ten years? He pulls something like this. Found out while I was away, he would go out to the mailbox, pick up the checks, take them down to the bank and cash them. Disguised as me. He had the little kitty arrow through the head. And the little kitty bunny ears. And I wouldn't have caught him, but I went outside to his house where he sleeps. And there was about $3,000 worth of cat toys out there. And you can't return them because they have spit all over them. So now I'm stuck with $3,000 worth of cat toys. Oh, sure. They're fun. <laughs> Got the little rubber mouse, has a bell inside of it. <laughs> Boy, I hate it when it goes under the sofa. Whoa, give me that, give me that, give me that. That was Steve Martin in today's Comedy Corner of a piece called Cat Handcuffs, a classic piece of obviously taken from his album, A Wild and Crazy Guy. Now it's time to hear from Logan Vendette of Kindred Spirit Sanctuary, a Florida facility that just took in 33 pigs from a sanctuary situation that went sideways, shall we say. And they're helping these new pigs in need and in turn could use some help in that effort. This is Logan Vendette on Talking Animals on WF. Good morning, Logan. Hi, good morning. How are you, Duncan? Great. Thanks so much for joining us again on Talking Animals. So we spoke at length on the show uh, a year or so ago about uh, Kindred Spirits, but it's just something of a reminder. Let's start maybe by asking you just for a brief overview of Kindred Spirits and its mission. Sure. So Kindred Spirits Sanctuary is a farmed animal sanctuary located in central Florida. Uh, we rescue abused, abandoned, neglected, and special needs farmed animals, um, both from our state and from all across the country. And then they come here and they live the rest of their lives with us. Nice. So I gather you have to be careful with some specifics, but tell us what you can about the circumstances that led to these 33 pigs kind of on an emergency basis coming to Kindred Spirits. Yeah, so we were notified about a situation um, a while ago, about a year ago, of a sanctuary that was beginning to struggle financially and at that time, we just were unable to help. Um, we had moved to our new location about two years prior to that. We're still getting set up here and getting our own residents, everything that they need in order. And unfortunately, the situation was just becoming more and more dire at this other sanctuary and animals were beginning to um, not make it. Mm. And so uh, we sat down with the staff and just discussed what, what are we capable of doing? How much can we help? Um, there were hundreds of animals at that time. And, you know, we decided to take 33 of the very large pigs that they had there. Pigs are incredibly hard to find homes for. Um, and most sanctuaries are very, very full. And the large pigs cost a lot to feed and care for. And they also are a little bit um, harder for your average person to work around because unlike a small potbelly pig, they can't just be held and restrained. You have to really know how to work around them. So mm. we decided to take... 33. Um, it did become 34. We we got an additional pot belly from the situation who was very bonded to one of the farm pigs, so we couldn't leave her behind. Ah, okay. So <laughs> we have 34 of these pigs here now. They just arrived last week. Yeah. Um, we're seeing a lot 
uh, different things in them. A lot of them have skin cancer that's been left untreated for years that will need treatment. Mm. Some of the older guys who should have been on pain meds for chronic arthritis have not been had their pain managed. We've got some skinny ones who are unable to access food at their previous location. So it's just now we're into the process of kind of trying to get them healthy and everything figured out for them. So it's hard work moving them, but it's even harder work getting them back to where they need to be. Yeah, because it's 34 extra mouths to feed, but obviously it sounds like in many, many instances, veterinary care is required as well. Yeah, so we've we've got little veterinary things that need to be done all the way up to some big giant veterinary things. Like one of the pigs has been going blind for a while. He did not receive any, any veterinary care, so uh. he actually is going to get uh, sedated today and have his eyes checked and a full exam and figuring out what will happen with him if it can be treated, what we need to do. So they run the gamut, really. Yeah. Are some of the veterinary folks, if not donating their time, giving you guys some breaks on their fees or just because it seems like just from what you've described already, it would get up there quickly in terms of expenses. Yeah. So we have a veterinarian on staff mm-hmm. who works for us. So that cost for the most part is already factored in. Yeah. If we have uh, Rocky, the one pig who's blind, he may end up having to go to the university. It just depends on what we find today. And so that will be additional fees. Um, the university helps us when they can, but obviously there's still a business trying to run and function. Um, so yeah, as much of the in-house stuff as we can handle, we will do, but some of them will have to seek outside care. Yeah. So with that in mind, and, and certainly the extra food, no matter how you slice it, how can people listening who are uh, concerned about these pigs and want to help out in whatever way they can, what's the best way if they say, well, you know, I got a few extra bucks, or even if I don't have a few extra bucks, I want to send a few bucks to help these uh, these pigs. What's the best way for them to do so? One of the easiest ways would be by visiting our website, which is uh, KSS, as in Kindred Spirit Sanctuary, FL.org. We have a donate button there. Our mailing address is listed there for people who prefer to mail a check. Um, you can find a link to all of our social media there where we're constantly posting updates about them and also chances to give through there. So that's really the best option. Yeah. No, that's really good. So it's kssfl.org. And again, look for the donate button. And again, if you're less inclined to donate online or just uneasy about that, as Logan says, you can uh, pop something in the mail. So that's great. And I highly recommend uh, checking out their social media pages to get more updates, including I saw a nice little uh, story or info about a, a nice pig named Larry that uh, I, I already fell for hard. Yeah, Larry's a total sweetheart. Everyone here is just in love with him. He's a great pig. Yeah, he seems uh, irresistible in some ways or another. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> cool. All right, well, Logan, we, we hope that people listening will uh, help out in whatever way they can. And it's super nice to you guys to take in those 33. And uh, just real one last quick question, I guess, is likewise, are there other sanctuaries, like good sanctuaries like you guys, that are helping take animals from this sanctuary that didn't turn out to be quite the sanctuary it was uh, meant to be? At this point in time, there is still some work going on over okay. there. Can't super talk about, but yeah. Right, okay. There's hopefully more hope help coming for more pigs from there. Okay. Not trying to lure you into legal trouble. I was just curious if other people were stepping up in the same way that Kindred Spirits was. So, uh, okay, cool. Well, again, thank you for doing that. Uh, Those 34 pigs are in really good hands now, and uh, we'll just hope they'll get better and get uh, beefed up. And, uh, you know, some of them obviously I know didn't uh, didn't eat as much as they should have while they were in the other place, etc. So we'll hope they'll all have a much better life now. So thank you so much for your work and joining us today on Talking Animals. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye.
I'm Duncan Strauss. You're listening to Talking Animals. Coming up on WMF Music Kicks Back In. Ordinarily with Scott Elliott. Today with Cheryl Mogul from noon to three. Three glorious hours of music followed by Sam Vall with another three hours of music. And we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. All on WMF and WMF.org. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment, it's as the prize for Name That Animal Tune. I'll be offering a lily brush, a fantastic gizmo for removing pet hair from clothing, carpet, cars, couches, and other furniture. The first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's Name That Animal Tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. If you can name that animal team, we'll take your guests off the air because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Be back next Wednesday again at our new time of 11 o'clock with another edition of the show. I invite you to tune in for that show. I also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are there too as well as another podcast platform. There are also links to all our social media pages and more. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand and other news from the Talking Animals world. That's all found at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa, Brandon Clearwater, Largo, Weeki, Watching and Beyond. Stay tuned for Cheryl Mogul sitting in for Scott Elliott today and Sam Ball after that. Thanks.